Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. So Jen just said there, there are three things that she felt she could do to be evangelistic. It was to be kind, it was to listen, and it was to pray. And uh, through those three things, God has given her many opportunities. And all those three things are not difficult for us to do. All of us could do those three things, to be kind, to listen, and to pray. So we have just um, entered into our third phase of our our vision cycle. We we have a vision cycle, just in case you're uh, not aware of it. And over the next few weeks, we're into that phase of it, which is around mission and outward looking. Can anyone remember, it's not a memory test, but just in case, and it it won't, you know, can anyone remember what our mission is? What's the mission of Beacon Church? Can anyone remember it? Kind of, kind of, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Okay, so some of us remember some of the words build, maybe church, yeah. So it's to build the church to the glory of Christ and to serve the community. And our our vision cycle aids us in our mission. So we have a mission statement. This is what we're here to do. We're here to build something that glorifies Jesus primarily. That's why we're building it. But as we do that, we serve the community. And we serve the community simply by building the church, but we also serve the community by being the church. And um, our vision cycle really just follows that mission. That's what we're about. So our first phase is all around foundations and building our second phase is all around the glorifying of Christ is about going deeper in him and being equipped and being transformed to be more like him and the third phase around serving the community or looking out or reaching out is where we are now this term we kind of run that cycle um, over this year we're hopefully going to run the same thing again next year and the looking out bit is always the most difficult It's always the most difficult, and I'll explain in a moment why that is. Why is it the most difficult thing for us to do? Our heart in this phase, if you like, as we have talked about different times, John and Jen would have mentioned it, uh, our heart is to move the church from a place where uh, maybe we don't feel so confident to talk to people about Jesus, but we get to that place where we do feel more confident to talk to people, or at least we feel confident enough to listen, to be kind and to pray, and then when God gives opportunities, we take them. That's where we kind of want to get to. And then the other thing that we wanted to get to is um, to recognise that mission as a church, it's a community event. It's not just an individual event. This is not about... Um, you know, how many people have you got coming to the comedy night? That, that's not the question, because it sounds like Jen's going to bring the people, yeah? So we need to go to the comedy night in order to meet the people that Jen's bringing, yeah? 
Uh, and when you meet them, don't say to them, oh, you're the person that she's been talking about. You don't say that, but you're just friendly, just as you would be on a Sunday. When we go to the comedy night in the market house, you've got to think about it like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of among the people of God here, and I'm here to be friendly to people. So if you don't have anyone to bring, don't think to yourself, oh, well, I'm not going to go there because I don't have anyone to bring. And if I don't go with anyone, no, don't, don't think. Think to yourself, oh, I've got to go because when I go, I can talk to the people that have been brought. That is part of what we are about. And then the thing that we are praying, yeah, and we pray regularly around this as a team, is that we would see through this phase one person one person saved. One person that we've met. Maybe it will be the hairdresser, but maybe it will be someone else. But we'll see one person come to the place where they go, oh, I, I want to believe in Jesus. Because after all, that is a big part of why we are here. So our expectations of one another in this phase is that you might pray, is that you might have the boldness to ask one person to one thing. Yeah, that's all, one person to one thing. That you would attend as many things as you can and that some of us would bring people to things. So we just ask, that's, that's it. We're not asking you to do any major thing. You don't need to go door knocking. You don't need to go down into Brixton and start preaching outside the tube. You don't need to do that. If you want to do that, you can do that. You don't need to call it a beacon thing. You can go and do that if you want to do that. Yeah? And in order to encourage us in this, we're going to be looking over the next few weeks at the first part of the book of Acts. The first six or seven chapters, and we'll look at it over the next few weeks. We'll look at it over, uh, over the summer as well. Because really, those first six or seven chapters of Acts are pivotal to the mission that we still are on. They're still pivotal. And it's helpful for us to see how God was faithful to his people during that time and how God used his people during that time. Now, I said earlier that mission was the hardest thing to do, yeah? Now, why is it the hardest thing to do? It's the hardest thing to do for this reason. When Jesus went back to heaven and he says to his disciples, you know, I'm going to empower you and things like that, and we're going to read it in a moment, um, there's a passage in one of the Gospels where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what that tells us is the gates of hell, and I've said this before, they won't prevail, but they will try to prevail. They will try to prevail, yeah? But the gates of hell do not try to prevail against your school. They're not trying to prevail against your workplace. They're not trying to prevail against your neighbours. They are trying to prevail against the church. And the church, very specifically, being the gathered people of God and the promise of God that when my people gather there, I will be in the midst of them. There is something about the gathering of the people of God where the enemy wants to attack that. Yeah? It is harder to build a church 
Because building a church is not like building a social club. Yeah? I mean, I go badminton some weeks, and some weeks I don't go to badminton. Yeah? But, but I just go to badminton. There's nothing there. I mean, for some people, badminton is their thing. Yeah? I can tell because I met a guy, and he was in all the gear. Yeah? He was all the gear, and he had a racket, and he couldn't play. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> Whoa, I thought if you had the gear and you had a racket, you could at least flick it over. Yeah? But he couldn't. And so when he missed it, he was very disappointed in himself because it mattered to him. Yeah? It mattered to him. I, I get a little bit disappointed if I don't get it over, but I'm not really that bothered. Yeah? The devil is not interested in the badminton club. Yeah? Because the badminton club is not a gathering of the people of God. It is not the one thing that is opposed to the devil. It's not the one thing that is going to set itself up and expose the devil. It doesn't do that, but the church does. Which is why church can be difficult. It's why church can be, sometimes you think, why can church be so hard? Yeah? And if church is easy, you have to wonder, okay, is the devil fighting there? Because he opposes the church. And that's why it's difficult. Reaching out is difficult because that interaction has the potential to be transforming for individuals. People can come to know Jesus. They can have their eyes open to something. Yeah? The devil does not want that. There is a battle going on. We must understand that. It's not just getting people to join a club or anything. It's different. So I'm going to read a few verses from Acts chapter 1 and just make, really, a couple of points um, today. So Acts chapter 1, is it going to, I might just, because I'm not sure my one will be the same. Well, it might be the same. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, "'Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised,' which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. 
Father, I do uh, pray that you would speak to hearts today. I pray you would strengthen people who who feel fearful. I pray you would empower people for the very purpose that you've brought them to this place and on this earth. I pray, Father, that even from today we might become a witness in church and we might see others added to us who do, who do not currently know you. Father, we are so blessed. We are so privileged. Father, we don't fight for our children to be happy when we're not happy. We don't fight for a peace that we don't have. But Lord, I do pray that we would live completely in the good of all that you have done and that we would draw others into that place as well. In Jesus' name, amen. I do wonder whether at the end today we may finish with a song, if we can, and uh, just to be able to respond and it will become apparent why that is. So in this uh, book of Acts, uh, the, the, it's written by a guy called Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke wrote the book of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. If you like, they are, they are two uh, volumes of a two-part series, um, uh, the, the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts. And here he begins with, in my former book, he makes reference to his previous book. And uh, in that sense, it's kind of normal, although they're not next to one another in In the Bible, they are written by the same person. It's an interesting story, though, because in the the book of Luke, it's all about Jesus. And and Luke makes this very big point that I want to make an orderly account of the life and the person of Jesus. And he wants to tell Theophilus um, who that Jesus was and what he did. And in Acts, he says, um, you know, In my former book, I began to talk about all that Jesus said and did. And in Acts, you realize they don't mention Jesus so much. Jesus is there at the beginning of the second book of Luke. But after chapter one, you know, he makes one or two appearances. But it's not really about Jesus. It's about something else. And you don't know what is this going to amount to in, in Acts chapter 1. If you're at that point in the story and you'd never read the story, I don't know that you would have thought about the church. I don't know that that would have been the thing that would have come to your mind. I don't think you would have realized the, uh, the work and power of the Holy Spirit in individuals. I don't think you could have imagined Peter becoming the Peter that he becomes. If you simply got to chapter 1 and read it, I'm not sure you would have thought those things. But God was at work in the lives of people. And so Luke has this kind of crossover bit, Luke 24, Acts chapter 1, the first few verses. They're a kind of a crossover of when Jesus has risen from the dead. And he does three things. There are three key things that happen in those first 11 verses in Acts. The first is this, Jesus is preparing his disciples for something. We know what he's preparing them for, but they don't know what he's preparing them for. And he prepares them in a number of ways. First of all, it speaks of his suffering. He had taught them, and it says, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. 
he presented himself to them, and this is important, he presents himself to them, he gives them convincing proofs that he was alive, he appears over a number of days, he spoke about the kingdom of God, he eats with them, and he speaks with them. Now that is very, very deliberate because Jesus is wanting them to be very, very clear. I, Jesus, who you knew, have risen from the dead. I am not a ghost. I am not a hallucination. I am not a vision that I am the man and I am now living the other side of death. He wanted them to know that. He wanted them to be sure about that. He wanted to convince them of that. Because that was going to be their fundamental message. They didn't know that at this point, but their fundamental message was going to be, Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. That was going to be the message. And that message that they had, for some of them, was going to lead them to their death because of their belief in that message. It was key. Whatever else we think about in terms of um, the Bible and truth and all those things, and you could talk about all sorts of issues, the fundamental key thing that the disciples needed to know at the beginning of Acts was he's alive. He's alive. And everything he said was true. He told us. He told us he would be alive. And so he explains all these different ways of convincing them. He appears over a number of days. It's impossible for a hallucination for a number of people to occur over a 40-day period. He eats with them to demonstrate that he has a body, even though it wasn't quite the same as before. He speaks to them. And he tells them this. Wait. Wait. So although their message, their key message, they understood at that moment it was Jesus is alive, that key message alone did not change them. It did not give them everything they needed to be able to go out and tell the world. It was not enough. It wasn't enough just to know that Jesus had risen, even though that was an amazing miracle. The most miraculous thing that had ever occurred in the human race was a man died and he rose again. That had never happened before. Even though it was that kind of miracle, it was not enough. If something else didn't happen, they would not have what it takes to be the witnesses he was asking them to be and to build the church that he wanted them to build in order that there was a place where he could dwell with his people and people would be drawn into that. It wasn't enough. It's interesting because their response to his rising from the dead, their response to all these um, uh, proofs that he was alive, their response was this. Oh my goodness, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom? Are you going to do that thing that we have been waiting for for generations as Jews? Are you going to do it now? Are you going to restore the kingdom? And he has to 
reposition them. He has to get them out of this mindset of, oh, Jesus is now going to become the Messiah that they always thought he was going to become. He's going to restore him. No, he had to get them out of that mindset. And he said, look, don't worry about the dates. Don't worry about the times. God worries about those things. Don't worry about them. And it's really helpful for us to understand that what he's talking about is don't get distracted by things that are not important right now. Right now, there's only one thing that you need to know. You need to wait because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You see, I think sometimes the church has lost sight of why the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit did not come in order that in meetings you can have an experience and a feeling. He did not come for that reason. He did not even come so that you might just have some gifts to be able to distribute amongst yourselves to help one another. He did not primarily come for that reason. He primarily came to empower you to witness. That's why he came. That's why the Holy Spirit was poured out. That was the first experience of the Spirit by these guys in the New Testament. The new work that God was doing was to empower them to witness. Now that's really interesting for us because what it tells us is without the Spirit, there was no witness. There was no witness. And why was there no witness? Because witness on its own, in its own strength, was almost impossible. It is impossible to fight that spiritual battle against an enemy who's fighting against you in your own strength. It's impossible. They needed the Holy Spirit to empower them to be able to tell people about Jesus. I don't know whether we think that. Sometimes we can go through... um, evangelism training and all those kinds of things. You can, someone, you can go on a course and people can tell you, well, these are the five things you need to do. These are the things you need to do. But it's interesting when uh, Jen's example was, oh, you know, I heard this one thing and I prayed, oh God, I can do that. Yeah. It's not so much about technique here. It's about empowerment. Yeah? It's not about technique. It is about empowerment. It is about having the boldness to speak on behalf of God. To tell people the good news about Jesus. That is primarily why the Holy Spirit has come. That's primarily why we're still here. Because it's a sign of God's compassion for the world that he has not ended the world. in order that many, many more people might be saved and come to a knowledge of him and a knowledge of the truth. I don't know whether you think about it much, but you have a hope. It's like someone's given you a million pounds a day and your neighbour has nothing. And you use that million pounds to share with your friends who also have millions of pounds. You have a hope that the world does not know about. And to be honest, you know they don't know about it because you know your friends. 
you know what your friends are like. Your friends who don't know Jesus, you know they live in a, in a hopeless, helpless way. But the devil has introduced for us things like embarrassment about speaking. Our friends appear to be more bold than they are. So we're like, oh, okay, God, I'm not sure. But it's not even about the words you speak. With the Holy Spirit, suddenly Peter, who had made all sorts of mistakes and errors, and actually he continues to make them, Peter gets a boldness which is not human. Yeah? But that boldness, which is not human, was not primarily just about preaching. Yeah? It was the empowerment to be a witness. And we need that. More than you need Holy Spirit experience, you need Holy Spirit empowerment. We need something of the Holy Spirit in us to empower us to witness. Isn't it interesting? Because... Because the thing about Jen is she's been doing that kind of reaching out to friends and neighbours stuff for years. It's not been like just oh, at Beacon she did it, but actually when we were at King's she used to do it. Yeah, for years. And so now she's said, oh, now my list has grown. I've got 13 people I am praying for regularly. And she's finding that God is doing things. So it's not even that you go, right, you know, I'm going to muster up the boldness. Give me those leaflets when I'm out there. Yeah, it's not that it's you go oh God I want to be used by you to reach people Holy Spirit I need you yeah you don't just need a fresh touch whatever that might mean what you need is empowerment you need the Holy Spirit to empower you so that when you see your friends, you are reminded not just of how great they are to you or your relationship or, or of all the stuff you talk about, but you're reminded regularly of their hopelessness without God, their hopelessness without Jesus, and that you would pray, that you would listen, that you would be kind and you would be surprised at what God does. You'd be surprised. So Jesus has to reposition his disciples from getting distracted by, in their case, dates and times and numbers, in our case, by other things. Oh, Holy Spirit, we just want you. We just want you. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm coming to you for a reason. There's a reason behind it. And as we become witnesses in that way, God builds his church. Yeah? Because Jesus said that. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. They won't be able to stand against it. And the church that he's building is a community of believers in which he dwells. Yeah, that's the end of Ephesians chapter 2 where, where it talks about um, th- this community being built together and it's a place where God dwells, God lives by his spirit. Yeah? That is why getting unbelievers simply to come to church is witness. It's evangelistic because they come to a place where God dwells by his spirit. 
So you just need to get them to that place and they will see something different. They won't see what you see. Yeah, You must understand that with your friends. Your friends who live maybe in a hopeless place do not see what you see when you come to church. What you see is there's no one unwelcome this week. Yeah, Now actually there's always someone unwelcome here. Or you see, oh no, the PA. Or you see, oh no, the crack. You see all of those things. Your friends don't see that. When they come, they go, well, it's, it's weird, but it's a tra- what's going on here? They see something that you don't see. And you must remember that. You come into something because you're part of it. You, it's almost like you come into the presence of God and that's how you live. You're kind of there. You're with the people. And for you, it's, it's no longer the big miracle. It's just, this is just how it is. I live in the presence of God. I pray to God. I, I don't even think about the fact that I have access to God because of what Jesus has done. I don't even remember that. I just know that when I come to God, he answers my prayers. Hallelujah. That, that's true. But your friend doesn't think that. Your friend thinks, well, is there a God? Are there people? What's going on? What are these people like? I don't understand it. So simply by getting them here, the church itself becomes a witness. And you know it, because you know at Beacon, people come to Beacon and they say, wow. And this is true. You might think, no, they do. They do. They come to Beacon and they go, wow, I just could not. And they say things like, I couldn't believe I could come to church and it didn't matter what I wore. They say that. You're like, really? Because you've gone through some theological understanding where you don't even think of that anymore. But for some people, the idea that they can come to church and they don't need to put on their Sunday best is revolutionary. Yeah? That's not how they think. When they hear you pray and they hear you pray about the kindness and the grace and the mercy of God, they're thinking, it's God. God's kind. Surely God's up there, out there, and he's distant, and he's, a, he's like a big kind of thing. He's not that... In, is he really interested? They don't think what you think. They don't see what you see. So don't allow your prejudices and some of your issues block you from bringing them because they don't have them. They don't have them. Simply by getting them among the people of God is a witness. And so that's why I would encourage you to bring people to the events, to bring people to church, because coming to church is a witness. Being among the people. So Jesus positions them uh, to that place and then he promises them. And it's really interesting. He, he, you know, he goes up into heaven uh, and I can't, just let's imagine this for a moment. You're there with Jesus and you're chatting to him. He's among you. You're, he's one of you. And then what happens? He just, he just moves. Yeah? Imagine if I just started to lift into the sky and you just start, you're looking. Thinking, Where's Owen going? Yeah, I don't see any string. What's magic? Yeah, where's he going? Yeah? And then you get two other men come down and they're angels and say, why are you looking in the sky? Why are you looking up? And you're like, well, isn't it obvious? Look, there's a man there. He's just, he's going. He's rising. Yeah? And then they say, look, this Jesus who you have watched 
ascend into heaven, he's going to come back in the same way. And you know what? For us, the idea of his second coming is like he's out there and we think, and we're confused. Am I pre-millennium? Am I post What am I? I don't even know what I am in terms of my theology of the second coming. But for them, it was a motivation. He's coming back. And until that happens, we are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. It motivated them. We need to get to that point where we are motivated by the fact that we will see Jesus. Yeah? Jesus won't always be something we believe in by faith. There will come a point, either you will die or he will come, where you will meet him face to face. Yeah? Have you thought about that? One day you will see Jesus. And you might go, oh, I didn't know he get to know he looked like that. Gosh, no, he's, he's not as tall as I thought. I thought Jesus would be tall. Why is he not smiling? I thought he was joined. One day you will meet him. Yeah? And, that, and that's, that's just a nice thought. One day I will meet him. I'll meet him. But until that day, we are motivated to go out and tell others that they might one day meet him. And when they meet him, it will be the same as when we meet him. It will be, oh, Jesus, my Lord. Yeah? It won't be, oh, my goodness, they were right. We want others to know him as we know him. So I've just got a couple of questions. Guys, you might want to come out and just, just a couple of questions for us. How many of us need to be repositioned? What I mean by that, how many of us need to, um, you know, repositioned so that we are not distracted by things and we can focus on the thing that God has called us to focus on. How many of us are so caught up in other bits of Christendom, theology and the culture and all those kind of things, so we've kind of just lost sight for a moment of why we are here and why we have the Holy Spirit. How many of us need to be reminded that the main purpose of the Holy Spirit was to empower us for witness. That's why the Holy Spirit came. Now, there are lots and lots and lots of benefits to that and other things, but primarily when Jesus had that moment with his disciples and when he talks about it in John 14, 15 and 16, he talks about the Holy Spirit will come, he'll lead you into all truth, he'll tell you what to say, you will be empowered for witness. Witness isn't personal. Yeah, so Jen talked about, I'm not one of those big, bold people Actually, it doesn't matter if you are one of those big, bold people. Witness isn't personal. 
God doesn't use you because you have a big personality. He uses you because you're faithfully obedient. And you can be faithfully obedient and be very, very, very quiet. And God can use you to win many people. So how many of us need reminding of the purpose? And how many of us today need to freshly engage with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of empowerment? Not for the purpose of an experience, but for the purpose of empowerment. That's what we need. That's why we're doing this series. It's an encouragement that we would connect the Holy Spirit to witness. I'll connect those two things. I'll recognise, oh, I need this in order to do this. And once you realise that, you go, every day you go, oh God, I need you every day. Because every day there's an opportunity to witness. Every day there's a moment. So I want us to respond. I don't know what we're going to sing, but but why don't we stand and I'm going to pray. And I'm I'm just going to ask you to just really kind of engage with God because he is here. He is with us. And some of us, we've disconnected him, the Holy Spirit, from witness we've disconnected it and today God wants to reconnect those two things in your life I have come to you in order that you might have power and you need power because this world will resist your message and the only way to stand against that resistance is the Holy Spirit you can't do that on your own That is not a human function. It's not possible humanly. So right now, maybe you just want to begin to pray where you are. I don't know exactly where you are, but I can imagine that we all need empowerment. So why don't we just begin to pray, just as those early disciples did. And we'll see that in a couple of weeks time I'm sure when they began to pray they were together in one room and they were praying and the Holy Spirit came upon them and it was primarily that they would be empowered that they would become that community that temple so just begin to pray ask God would you fill me again that I might be a witness Would you show me how I can witness? That simple example, be kind, listen, pray. You do those three things, God will provide opportunities for you to be a witness. Just begin to pray. Father. Father God. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Jesus. There were some just wonderful words earlier. Uh, Val and, and Ruth brought some wonderful things about God and they talked about change and I was really struck by that and, and what really struck me was the very next thing we did was we sang about the unchanging God and I remember realising that or thinking about the fact that God doesn't change he doesn't change so what he asked of his disciples then he asks of us now he doesn't change so if we are going to be faithfully obedient, we must change. We must change. And it may be that you're here today and you've been coming to church for years, all your life maybe, and if you're honest with yourself, you say, I haven't really changed. Nothing's different for me. I, I come to church, but I haven't really changed. Well, I'm, I'm here to remind you, you must change. Because God doesn't change. And he doesn't change because he's stubborn or because he doesn't quite understand himself. He's not got, you know, he's not got self-awareness. That's not why God doesn't change. God doesn't change because he's perfect. He's already everything he needs to be. And you will only become all that you need to be when you change and you allow him to change you. So we're just going to worship together and uh, maybe that will lead to praying for one another, I don't know, but I just think God wants to do something in our hearts today. So let's sing together. in response to what Owen said that, um, because we we emulate what the um, disciples did in the Bible and one of the things they did was they, they come to places they preach the word of God and they lay hands on those people and the Holy Spirit will come upon them and, and when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit comes with power the Bible says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world that means that Jesus that is the source of the Holy Spirit is in us. So I don't know if we can, you know, just lay hands on someone that is beside you and just say the word, by faith, receive the Holy Spirit. That's all it takes. It doesn't take anything big, any magic. But just because Jesus in me, because I'm in his righteousness, I'm in, I'm in the righteousness of God in Christ, receive the Holy Spirit. Like Owen said, don't worry about the big thing. God will worry about that. Let's see what, the, what God will do in that. In Jesus' name. Okay, why don't we do that? Just, just turn to one another, if you can, and politely say, just pray for one another to receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for just the reminder again of just how great you are, how privileged we are to be in you. It's wonderful, God. 
thank you that you've given us hope. And I pray, Father, that we would become very thirsty for more of the Holy Spirit. Pray we would become bold because of the Holy Spirit. Pray, Father, that we would see lives touched and changed because of what you've done in our lives, because we're able to speak that to others. We ask that you would go with us uh, today, that you would go ahead of us. Lord, for many here, there might be situations and circumstances that they're facing this week that they're difficult, that are difficult, that maybe they're fearful about. And I pray, Father, that you would come and your love would cast out fear in any today that are fearful, who are looking ahead and they're worried about something, whether it's an exam, an interview, a meeting, or whatever it might be. I pray your perfect love will cast out fear from your people today. And I pray, Father, also that there would be opportunities today that maybe we haven't seen for a while to be witnesses. That maybe we've just missed them. Maybe we've lost sight of them. I pray that this week we will see those opportunities and that you will empower us to speak. We ask these things in your name and for your glory. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.